Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Way with Fanoa. It is Wednesday, October 4th, and it's 9 p.m. Eastern Time. How are you all doing this evening? I hope you're doing well. Um, there's a lot going on, so I know many folks are doing as well as can be expected. I'm excited tonight because my guest will be Ajama Baraka, trying to get connected via Skype, but I figured I would go ahead and chat with you all a little bit while we try and get the technical stuff worked out on the back end. Um, there is, as usual, so much that's going on in the world right now. Um, just last night, we saw, um, if, if you guys have been following along, as I have, what has been going on in St. Louis, I mean more and more reason why independent media voices on the ground people who are citizen journalists people who are really about putting uh narratives from the communities at the front line are so valuable and crucial last night in st louis we saw over 100 people arrested after being kettled by the st louis metropolitan police department um there was a protest shutting down um i think it was highway 64 if i remember correctly um and this has been almost, I think, I think yesterday was night, night 19, almost three weeks of continuous action, protests, uh, 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 civic civil disobedience, leadership from the community. I mean, this is people driven, you know, people led process that has been uh, not just only in response to the verdict and the Stockley case. I mean, if you all recall approximately three weeks ago, um, Jason Stockley, a uh, former officer, was found not guilty by a bench trial. Um, bench trial refers to when a judge makes a determination versus a jury. Um, and this sparked extreme outrage, and rightfully so. But this is so much more than just the Stockley case that we're seeing, you know, that verdict in that case. And this is actually a case that predates the Michael Brown um, Ferguson case, right? Um, this, this is a case that I believe it was 2011. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Uh, I did, didn't get a chance to double check my dates. However, um, the egregious attitude of the officer involved and the, the inability to bring charges uh, just this week, um, the circuit attorney uh, who litigated, who pursued this case on behalf of you know the people, um, she, she did just make, uh, she, she moved, she's requesting that uh, police involved shootings actually be investigated um, outside of the police department. So there seems to be a few pieces moving in the right direction. Um, but if you have not been really paying attention to following what, what's been going on, I know a lot of people tuned in obviously yesterday once TYT's Jordan Cheriton and well, my fave, my friend, my brother Ty were arrested along with several others, including Revolutionary Z. If you are not familiar with Reb Z, Definitely go check out. I mean, he has content going back weeks from this stuff. There's also when I'm checking out his Facebook page, there's also stuff from Charlottesville. Um, there is a lot that has been going on. And, you know, the there is a Facebook page, Expect Us. That's one of the hashtags that's been used by, by protesters. Um, you know, I, I try to pay attention quite a bit because of my my uh you know, friendship and, and professional relationship with Corey Bush and really trying to, however we can, and I know like people tease folks because they're slacktivists on social media. Quite honestly, right now, part of the only way our narratives, our stories are even getting out is through the sharing medium that people have, right? Whether you're on Twitter, social, uh, uh, Facebook, you know, whether you're doing, you know, live streams, this is how information is getting out there because in the early days of these protests, and I say early days, it's only been approximately three weeks, we saw how local media 
was directly dictating and indicating that they clearly, not all, you know, St. Louis American has done a decent job um, and maybe a few others locally, but for the most part, a lot of the local media was very skewed in favor of the police and just regurgitating and repeating what they had to say. Extremely problematic. And, and, and I mean, even with the, in, in, in like their, I think it's the communications manager. I can't remember exact, her exact title, but one of the, 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 a woman that works for the police department, um, basically she came from Fox news. So it's no, no surprise that when you see posts of, uh, police officers holding bottles that clearly say a apple cider vinegar on it. Right. Um, but when they have posts that are saying unknown chemical substance being used to attack police officers, it's like. And, and then news news articles are just running with whatever the police are saying the narrative is. And this is where independent media, particularly progressive, so-called progressive media, really comes in the handle. It's not just about getting the story, right? There are people on the ground who are trying to figure out how to fight or not trying to figure out. They're figuring out. They're working through it. There are elected officials, you know, older men and women. There are state representatives. There are people who are working on the ground. There are pastors. There are they're such a, they're small business owners. There's such a wide segment of people from the community who are working together and who are trying to push the needle and get the mayor to actually come to the table and respond in a meaningful manner and not just in a way that's dismissive and, oh yeah, mm -hmm, we'll have a, we'll have a talk and everything will be fine. And it isn't. I mean, the St. Louis police have been egregious in their behavior um, um, from arresting people allegedly for failure to disperse without ever issuing the, the, the dispersal order. This has happened at least two or three times. Um, Chuck Modiano, uh, uh, my friend who, who writes, uh, who does sports for the uh, New York Daily News, was also in uh, St. Louis, I believe, a week or a week and a half ago. Um, so he has some footage up on his periscope. I mean, there's just so much. So people who have been able to be on the ground, those who are already from the community, who've been on the ground, who've been streaming, who've been posting and sharing and getting the word out. Excellent work. You know, excellent kudos to you for the small business owners who've been standing up and saying what's happening is not right. Not only because there have been, as I mentioned before, there have been some small business owners who were in fact targeted. There are others who are just saying this is not right. This is not the type of community you want to live in. Like we're not scared of someone breaking a window. We're literally terrified for our neighbors, for our customers because of the behavior. And some of these people are terrified for their business. And if they speak out, they're, they're afraid of being attacked in the same manner in which um, the pie pizzeria owner was by, you know, St. Louis police and the, uh, the their um, police union and the Blue Lives Matter newsletter group, Facebook group that they have. So, 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 so I say that because, you know, for those who follow me and watch, I talk a lot about the importance of narratives and how it is, it is crucial. You know, people talk about identity politics is bad and this, that, and the other. We need people who understand issues, but who also understand people, culture, and community to tell the stories, to share the narratives, not just some top down, oh, voyeuristic approach and I get to leave, right? Um, and, 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 and it's excellent when, when, when people with larger audiences, when mainstream media finally pays attention to an issue because it gets, you know, wider coverage than any of us, you know, in our smaller mediums do. However, we really do need to invest and grow our work to help provide the space 
for people like folks organizing in St. Louis, for I mean, I use that as an example, and this goes back to a piece of research that was actually done by an organization here, Project South, um, is an organization based here in Atlanta, and they did a really extensive piece about movement journalism, and not just simply that it's you know journalism. Like, you know, people, you know, people talk about their activism and journalism, you know, people who cover social issues, but actually really having a symbiotic relationship with the movements, with the organizations and people that we're covering and helping to lift up those voices and making sure that those narratives are being shared. Because it's really disheartening when I'm seeing fellow progressives share stuff about what's going on since a lot of people haven't been following this. And then the response is, well, you shouldn't be blocking the highway or you shouldn't be this. Regardless of what we personally think about these issues, not saying that we shouldn't discuss them and whether or not tactics are right, but when we're wasting our time policing and, and, and tone policing in particular, people's frustration with the system that continues to subjugate and oppress their, their communities and not lending any type of support any type of assistance, it's you're part of the problem. And so we need to change that dynamic. Um, the other thing, the, the part of the reason why I reached out to Ajamu and wanted to have a conversation tonight was uh, obviously, you know, uh, with his extensive background with human rights um, and particularly with the, the work that Black Alliance for Peace has been doing um, and, and the ongoing, you know, human rights issues we're seeing not only in... And, and at home and, and, and it was I was in a meeting last night with my stepfather and a really good point was made about how we tend to think about human rights as something that is external you know something that's only an international concern it's not a US issue but really we have extreme issues in terms of human rights when you think about healthcare when we think about housing when we think about access to clean water right I mean environmental justice issues are human rights issues so um but obviously right now in the aftermath of the several hurricanes that wrecked not only the Gulf, but also the Caribbean, we are seeing, you know, in, in Florida, we are seeing a massive human rights crisis, particularly as we, you know, look at Puerto Rico. Many folks have also, you know, been raising up how we need patients to what's going on in UVI as well, you know, the U.S. Virgin Islands as well. Absolutely. But thinking about what's happening in Puerto Rico and the response right now and that and, and, and how it's happening in Puerto Rico is not merely because a bunch of us bad people didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. So now Donald Trump is president and see, it's all our fault. I mean, people in Puerto Rico couldn't vote for Hillary Clinton and this happened. I mean, like 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 the logical leaps and contortion act that people are going through to to blame everyone instead of really sitting down and talking about what the issues are. I mean, it didn't just simply start last summer with the Promsea and and and, and the, the 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 issues with uh, of the debt that Puerto Rico has. I mean, when you look at the colonial legacy and the implications of what Puerto Rico's relationship and how it has been really pilfered by hedge fund managers right from the mainland who who have used it as their personal plaything and it's the people who are bearing the brunt and the burden you know of this debt even though um if they were a state they'd be able to restructure there's so many different tools that'd be available to them but what has been put in place um by the republican controlled congress with 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 democrat you know uh cooperation uh has further encumbered, you know, an already overburdened system. And now we have this disaster. So there are several people who've been doing, you know, excellent work, you know, in actual terms of relief, 
right? Um, you have the American Black Cross. Uh, I just, uh, you know, I know I've seen that Rosa Clemente and other folks will be, you know, actually going to really, again, going back to showing and, and sharing people's narratives um, and how we can, you know, help get out the word and make sure that we're connecting and engaging people and, and, and lifting up their, their work and their struggles because because this is what, what what's happening, right? Those who are able to get the word out about what's actually happening on the ground down in Puerto Rico, for example, are, um, you know, like they're just they're just making sure that they're trying they're trying frantically. So here we have a medium, Facebook and Twitter, social media, which is so crucial and so important for so many reasons for getting out messaging, for getting out narratives, for really helping to understand what's happening on the ground because we can't rely simply on the CNN on our local news or heaven forbid the White House communications office, right? The press secretary, the president. We can't rely on these institutions to give us the information we need. I mean, when we think about historically, right? Think about, you know, the abolitionist movement. We think about historically, you think about the work of folks like Ida B. Wells, you know, William Lloyd Garrison, you know, independent media, independent news, telling the stories of people in the struggle and in movements has been such a important, so important to all of the work. We can hold up everyone's great work and we can hold up, you know, people who recorded speeches. Like these are really important tools and we, we definitely need to make sure we have that. We also need to figure out how to build our own alternatives. Because as we've seen with the whole dust up over whether or not Facebook and Russians and black organizers, that's a whole nother conversation for another, another time. Still trying to get the Skype situation worked out. But, um, but as we see, though, there are narratives that are being spun about us. They're being directed either not necessarily towards us, but towards our work. And they undermine the legitimacy of our movements, of our spaces, and of the situations and the conditions that we're trying to change. Because quite honestly, even though, you know, you would think that so-called Democrats would be on the side of black activists and would not be so careless and irresponsible in the reporting and, and testimony before Congress about alleged Russian ads targeting people. I mean, we're not even being told exactly what the content of these ads are. All we know is Facebook is going above and beyond to cooperate now after, you know, they've, they, they've, they've twisted the, 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 they've set in on them. I mean, same thing we've seen, you know, we have that aspect happen. On the flip side, we have, you know, the Trump administration via the, via the, the DOJ cracking down and trying to get access to people who may have access the Disrupt J20, not just the website. Cause remember that was, that was the initial lawsuit. Now they want access to people who visited the Facebook page, right? And so there is, you know, a sister said to me, you know, if you really about that liberation life, you are not messing with Facebook. You are not doing your organizing on Facebook. And, and, and my mentor, Stacey Hopkins, has said this actually before as well, that Facebook is not conducive to organizing. But there's another layer to that conversation, right? As we've seen, we've seen with the way black activists or activists of color or those who are doing anti-racism work, you know, anti-imperialism are, are routinely... Um, you know, Nazis, how many of you will report, will report, report, report people doing racist stuff, all types of things and nothing. You'll get a message back. It doesn't violate, you know, the community standards, but you'll have, you know, there was a whole post with ProPublica about a, a Black Lives Matter activist, Didi Delgado, and how um, her personal page had actually been shut down over something that was innocuous. 
You know, we've seen this time and time again. Uh, Portia Bolger, who actually responded to a comment on uh, with someone who was actually harassing me, and the people reporting the person who harassed me, who was being very racist, but she was okay. I ended up blocking her. She was fine. It was Portia who was actually booted for over a week, even though there was nothing actually, you know, in violation about her statement. But so, so we already have all these issues already built into the way in which face, Facebook uh, uh, guards space and creates community and determines whose voice and value is worthwhile. And so now we have people all over the place who are using these spaces to try and communicate and build. And it's understandable why we do so because this allows us to build with so many more people over, you know, these large distances, over time, you know, over different time zones, et cetera. Um, and, it, and, it, and it's very, you know, low maintenance. Um, you know, we're very low maintenance. And um, it's, it's, it's a problem, right? Sorry, just still trying to get this Skype working. But, um, but yeah, so there's just so much... There's just so much that, that has been going on that we, we look to these spaces to use to communicate, to help build our narratives, to help share our stories, to help organize and connect with other people, right? I mean, a lot of the real work, of course, obviously happens in other spaces, not necessarily on Facebook, but there are these other implications and concerns that are going on there. And we really do need to be paying more attention to what we're doing, how we're doing it, and being secure about it. Um, I just actually was looking at, I think it's uh, William and Mary's Black Lives Matter group. They actually have some really cool infographics. You guys should definitely check those out about being safe with your phones, uh, whether you have an Android or whether you have an Apple, you know, a iPhone. They have some different things. And, and there's there's a, quite a few people who do stuff with info security, um, you know, who could who could get out there and really like start helping us figure out what's going on and how... Um, like how we, we, we can do this. So that was just, just, just some of the things that I just didn't think about, but, but we really do need to be careful with, with the way this technology is going, with, with how we're doing things, with why we're doing things, um, and how we build. So I, yeah. So um, just, just, just thinking about, you know, how we build in these spaces that we exist in, right? Obviously, you know, it'd be great if we, you know, go back old school, phone lists, and, you know, a lot of different organizations have their email lists that they're building up and stuff. But at the same time, you know, um, it's hard when your work is, you know, uh, across the nation or international to, to have in-person meetings and sit-downs. But one of the things I really appreciated about a meeting, I, I got a chance to go to town with my dad last night, was the fact that even though it's a national organization, their, with their upcoming conference, they had a organizing a local or they had their national planning committee, right? But they had a local committee made up of, you know, organizations and organizers who are considered the host city committee who can come together at least and build community and share in that respect. And I learned, even though it was just like an update planning meeting, I learned so much in that one hour, 15 minutes or so that I spent with everyone that was there about making sure that our work is um, 
relational and not transactional. Like, I thought that was just, I just, just that right there, right? Uh, we're actually building relationships. And this comes up actually a lot in the conversation right now about can progressives win the South, right? And, and, and what black progressives are doing in the South in terms of the wins with, um, we just saw Randall Woodfin win last night in Birmingham as the mayor-elect and uh, Chokwe Antar Lumumba is uh, mayor in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, and, and some people are really excited. They are definitely exciting things. It's exciting times, obviously. But there is a rush to attribute this to, to something that's very new when, in fact, really what's been happening. And, and um, I shout out to Aurelia Williams, who's an activist here locally in Atlanta, for making this point earlier today on By Any Means Necessary, that what's actually happening and the groundswell of support in a lot of instances is actually something very old. There has been the groundwork being laid for these issues, this work, these spaces um, by, you know, black and, and brown activists across the South, across the country, really, in many instances that have kind of found a natural genesis, a natural a home to some extent with what we're seeing now is the more, you know, newer Bernie Sanders style wave of, of, of being. But to, to, to completely attribute to what's happening solely to that, um, I think is disingenuous and problematic. Um, and it's also very short-sighted and it's part of why uh, if progressives really do not understand how to effectively build and work with organizers of color, color particularly um, strong-willed black progressive organizers, there's not going to be this like huge upsurge in winning. I mean, it, you actually have to build, you have to have relational, you know, actions with people and not just simply transactional. Hey, I'm awesome. I'm saying this, come do this for me. That's transactional. Relational is really getting in there, getting your hands dirty and building with people. It's great that people are willing to go and canvas in particular neighborhoods. That's wonderful. Kudos to you. But it's even better when your actual team is representative of those areas where you're going into, right? When you're actually building. And, and and don't repeat the DNC nonsense about, oh, we couldn't find anyone who's qualified. What are you what are you calling qualified? Right? Um so yeah, this, so there's a lot. There's just there's just been so much that's going on and and how we continue to connect and engage with people particularly when we're looking in these movement spaces and looking beyond the electoral. Electoral politics is important, um, but it's not the end-all be-all. And quite honestly, that as we continue to move forward, which is why still working on technical issues, you know, hoping to get um, Brother Jamu in here shortly, um, but which is why I'm really impressed to see the, the, the third-party candidates at the local level that are building, not just their campaign, I'm running a campaign, come vote for me, but really building community, really building that buy-in. Um, we see it happening in Baltimore, we see it happening in parts of New York and in several other places we see it happening out west, Colorado. Colorado has a fantastic um, group of folks. Uh, shout out to Damien and Andrea, um, working with the Green Party. Like there, there's so much that's going on in so many different places. And of course, again, unless you know someone who knows someone or you happen to be in a group somewhere, you may not even know this is what's going on. So that's one of the things that at Progressive Army we're trying or I'm trying to put together. And, and if anyone would love to help with this, shoot me an email, you know, drop me a message. Um, building out a really concerted effort to help uh, document, track, and provide voice to these different um, projects within these movement spaces, within 
he's organizing it in, in, in political spaces so that people can learn and understand like, oh, you know, what's what's going on, who's doing what, where, when and how. Because um, there there are several things out there that could possibly even be models uh, for some of the action that we have going on. Um, so it's 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 pretty it's pretty exciting uh, in all in all all this work. But at the same time, it's it's stressful. And so we do have to take time to take a step back. You know, this is something I had to learn recently um, is taking a step back and being able to being able to take a step back and make sure that. Sorry, guys. I got to figure it out. We got to figure it out. So I'm about to I'm placing the call. Just just bear with me for a little bit longer. But we're, we're, we're taking a step back and we're really trying to figure out like how can we talk with other people um, and how can we engage with folks? Hello? Hello? Testing. One, two, three. Testing. Awesome. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm doing better now. We had a power outage, so I was offline. Ah, uh, okay, so. okay, okay. Well, I am getting you into, bringing you into my feed now. And thank you so much again for, for joining me tonight. I really appreciate you. For taking the time to hop on i'm trying to get my my video up for you so you can see it yeah i appreciate it now we, we have these holidays from time to time it comes as a first moment you start your show yeah I started already talking just a little bit just a little overview about um, just kind of what's been going on in terms of uh, Puerto Rico and just even just thinking about more so how we've been using like I, I was waiting for you to come on and talk a little bit more about you know some of the human rights issues particularly when we're looking at not just Puerto Rico but what's happening in Latin and South America and why these are also like our issues too because there seems to be this tendency where particularly in black circles that because you know these are latino issues or these aren't our issues or and and, and it's it, it's 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 a tension in the conversation right because there's so much that we're already dealing with organizing wise why should we take that on as well but if we're saying that we're working towards, you know, addressing issues of imperialism, if we're saying we're working towards addressing issues of white supremacy, how can we ignore these issues and not also address that too? But what I was talking about before I connected with you was um, how we actually have, um, in terms of being able to use pl our platforms like social media, like what we're doing right now, 
to get out narratives with people um, to, to help raise awareness about organizational work about like for example what's happening in st louis it's been almost three weeks of protests and a lot of people had not heard about what was going on until jordan sheridan from tyt was arrested last night so how we can leverage our platforms but at the same time how these platforms are double-edged sword as we're seeing all the nonsense about russia and black activists and facebook and and, and how we're censored and stuff so it's kind of a tension in that space as well So I'm trying, they can hear you though, but I'm trying to get you on screen. Um, I'm trying to resize the screen right now so you can get on the stream as well. But um, so basically, uh, I appreciate you for taking the time and apologize for the, I'm trying to, you guys, I apologize for technical difficulties right now because I had the screen resized and now like my video won't show up so that Ajama can see me as well, but you guys can hear him. He's here. Um, and I'm trying to get him on screen right now, but basically, you know, thank you again, brother Ajama for, for, for joining me this evening. I was really, really, you know, uh, motivated to talk to you, not just because of, again, your, your work and background with human rights work, but also um, just thinking about what has been happening, you know, most recently, as we've seen with the lack of response to Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, but, but, but just even as the juxtaposition has been happening recently with, with Hurricane Katrina and how, oh, with, with Trump saying things like, oh, it's not that bad. But I just wonder if you could just talk a little bit about maybe some of the historical implications here with Puerto Rico's relationship uh, to the United States and how this isn't just, you know, some random thing that happened, but there, there, there is a real dire situation because of that still lingering colonial uh, relationship that exists between U.S. and, 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 and the island. Well, first, let me uh, thank you for inviting me onto your show. And I'm really, this is what happens sometimes in, in the so-called third world. Um, so, yes, I mean, let, let me let me let me suggest that what we we look at what's happening in Puerto Rico and we look at also the so-called U.S. Virgin Islands. We're looking at a, a certain kind of historical uh, situation but we're also looking at a, a, a political relationship that um, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, as a consequence of this hurricane, people are really just on a mass scale uh, beginning to think about or be aware of. Mm -hmm. That is the fact that the U.S. has these territories, uh, these uh, groups of people, uh, that are basically in a situation where they lack 
uh, self-determination, that Puerto Rico is, in fact, a colony in the U.S., and as a consequence, it does not have the ability to freely develop along its own uh, uh, chosen uh, direction, that the uh, economic and political reality of Puerto Rico has been fundamentally shaped by its dependent relationship to the U.S. Therefore, when we have this, this tragedy of, of the hurricane, uh, you have nations around the world that um, uh, wanted to provide some assistance, including the Cubans, mm -hmm. uh, the people of Puerto Rico couldn't accept that assistance uh, because it has to go through the colonial master, which is in fact the U.S. state. And many people in the U.S. didn't really give that relationship much, much thought until now. Uh, but now they are now they are made now they are made aware. Now they are thinking about it more critically, uh, and is is posing some serious uh, questions for uh, the continuation of that relationship between uh, Puerto Rico and the U.S. and even the Virgin Islands. So this is what we need to. Uh, to build on, to talk about uh, that relationship. I think that one of the other consequences of this uh, tragedy for the people of Puerto Rico is that uh, I suspect it is based on talking to some people that I know that this illusion that some people had in Puerto Rico, that they at one point would be a state of the U.S. Mm. This is really reflective of a serious kind of neo-colonial mentality. Uh, I think that that illusion has been completely uh, uh, eradicated. I think that they recognize that uh, they are a dependent uh, territory and that uh, many people in the U.S. Uh, just don't see them as an important uh, an integral part of the U.S. experience. Uh, and so the response or non-response, slow response on the part of the U.S. authorities, I think, uh, just reinforce that reality for some people so that they can no longer continue to embrace uh, the, the dream, desire that they could be uh, incorporated into the uh, U.S. colonial project. I, I think that the one part that you said that really, really, I think that people have not really considered enough in all this about whether or not this hope that Puerto Rico would somehow become or earn statehood. Um, it really does seem that with this, not only with this, even with last summer with the PROMESA, um, that this, this notion that somehow like, like Puerto Rico would, would be bestowed this great honor of statehood that that would happen. But it's, 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 it's been clear that there isn't an interest on behalf of the United States uh, in terms of the, the federal government and the way it operates for that to happen. Puerto Rico is to be utilized for uh, or at the leisure of, of the government and, and the friends from the hedge fund, you know, managers, et cetera, as they see fit. And, and when, what you just said about, you know, this may be helping to illustrate and drive that point home that that's, that's not what's happening, at least cards. How, how do we support um, work that's being done you know, in Puerto Rico, considering this current context, you know, looking at this neo-colonial relationship um, and, and efforts, whether they're to, you know, with people trying to push back and, 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 and oppose that type of uh, relational context. 
Well, you know, it, it, that your that question is, is related to your previous comment and question regarding how we see uh, the unfolding of political opposition in the U.S. Um, and how that opposition relates to to how we see the world, how we relate to the world. Mm-hmm. If we are serious about building a, a radical movement for social transformation, for uh, upending, uh, overthrowing, if you will, the power of this oppressive state and system, then our responsibility is to stand shoulder to shoulder with the struggling people of Puerto Rico who are demanding will be demanding their liberation, their liberation from the solidify those ties and to be committed to that particular struggle also. These struggles are not disconnected. If we recognize that we have a common interest is based on a common oppressor, uh, then the basis for real uh, solidarity should be clear to everyone. So this notion that there's a priority, um, you know, uh, people, uh, and that uh, we should look at uh, struggle in the U.S. in a purely sort of U.S.-centric uh, uh, manner, uh, to me, is is politically backward, mm-hmm. and it's, it's it does not correspond to the traditional Black radical tradition that that I identify with. Right. So. You know, we, we're going to stand with Puerto Rico and the people of the Virgin Islands and all of the colonized and oppressed people uh, uh, in the world. Right, right. When, when, when we talk about, you know, when we look, have to frame things in terms of the ra- black radical traditions, t- taking a step back for some folks, because I know a lot of people throw around terms like black liberation, black radical tradition, but I don't know that you know, right now in this, these moments that we're in, a lot of the words sound really great, but it seems like there is a struggle to understand exactly where that fits into some of these newer progressive or left spaces that people are organizing. When you say like, you know, for that to be the framing of black radicals for tradition, what do you mean? That the uh, black, black radical opposition in the U.S. Uh, from the very beginning of country uh, was a position in which the relationship between black people uh, and the U.S. state was one characterized by antagonism. It was a a, a one uh, characterized by conflict. Uh, It was one in which it was absolutely clear that uh, liberation uh, of black people, Mm -hmm. uh, liberation of was not tied up with the uh, continuation of the colonial status quo. What I mean by that is that basically, from the very beginning uh, of this country's history, including at the very beginning of the so-called uh, American Revolutionary War, uh, black people have found themselves, the black radical tradition is one in which we saw that uh, our interest was now bound up with the interest of this newly formed emerging uh, U.S. state, that in fact, uh, our interest was more related to those Africans that decided to take take the the offer by the British, who had their own particular interest, 
mm -hmm. uh, that said to uh, black people, African people, uh, that if you fight with us against the, the so-called Americans, uh, you will be granted your, your freedom. And thousands of our people, in fact, took that offer and, in fact, fought with the British. Uh, mm. and ended up in places like, uh, and some even ended up uh, back on the African continent. So mm -hmm. that, that relationship dissolved the colonial state, the U.S. colonial state, as, in fact, the enemy is part of the tradition that I identify with and come out of. So when we look at the, the, the Civil War, uh, for example, you know, we, we understand the, the terms of that war. Uh, we understand um, the struggles that took place or the, the debates uh, that took place before the war broke out, that is, among the, the Negro Convention uh, process. Uh, there was a, a, a debate on whether or not, you know, uh, liberation uh, was one in which black people should, in fact, leave or try to leave the U.S. territory, mm -hmm. or uh, should black people go to uh, uh, another part of the U.S. territory, uh, Kansas or Oklahoma, to separate themselves from the U.S.? Uh, that was a, a, a real debate, you know? Uh, after the Civil War and Reconstruction and the end of Reconstruction when uh, there was a a, a re reunification, a reconciliation, if you will, between uh, the North and the South, uh, those two white ruling classes. Uh, and in 1877, that meant that the interests of black people were sold out, you know, basically given back to the, the very same white races mm -hmm. that the North had defeated militarily with help. Uh, it, became, it became clear to many people that the, the interests of black people now bound up was not the same as the interest of the U.S. state. So this notion of us having a similar history where we we, we identify with the state and we, we we want to integrate into this into the system and we believe in uh, the the movement to our perfect union, uh, what people like Barack Obama talked about. That is a, a bogus and bourgeois uh, an alien interpretation of our relationship uh, to this in our lived experiences. Mm -hmm. After the end of the reconstruction, of the people in the we were basically uh, subjected to a an apartheid system that was in place and it was codified in 1896, and it's in place legally until 1954. You know, and it, and in, in, in after 94, what happened? We had to fight basically just by basic yep. democratic rights. So the black children was one which we were never confused by our relationship to the U.S. And we also were very clear about our people around in the, 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 the new African people. African people created a president of the U.S. and on the planet. So we saw our struggles being part of a common from confront and to, and to defeat a common enemy. That's the black radical issue that I come out. I love it. I love it. I'm still struggling with Skype, everybody. I'm so sorry. But, um, you know, the sound is coming through. But for whatever reason, now we got connected and I can't get the video to sync up. But it's, it's, it's coming through. Um, I, I, I really appreciate that that historical framing as well and bringing it, bringing it up forward. Um, because 
I mean, a lot of us don't know the history. You know, we get really excited. We're really passionate. You know, we know Black Lives Matter. We know, you know, white supremacy needs to end, but we don't really understand how that all comes together and have a, a good framing. And if we're not centered and grounded in something, as you just, just, just eloquently put it in terms of a black radical tradition, it causes some aspects of, you know, frustration and, 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 and strain within these spaces trying to organize um, um, currently. And we've seen some of that, even with trying to work in spaces um, that are, you know, interracial um, in terms of people not only respecting, but I don't know if we care to wait for them to understand why we as black people need to have spaces in groups such as, you know, Black Alliance for Peace. Um, but 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 at least if when we are grounded, you know, and, and as you were putting it in terms of a black radical tradition, in terms of our work and how we begin to organize or continue, in, in, in your case, organizing around issues um, that, that address so many of these continued oppressions, like how do you, as, as there seems to be this, this newer energy and fervor, you know, nationally and in some ways internationally around particular issues, how do you help nurture and grow um, that interest in spaces that are black led and then also work in, you know, how do you navigate working in, you know, black led spaces as well as, you know, the broader movement, for example, like with the peace movement as a whole, you know, building out more of that support for black led spaces, black led organizing, but also, you know, working a part of, you know, larger efforts as well. Well, you know, we, we always, we have come from, from the uh, position, uh, the political position and the theoretical one in, sense, in terms of understanding what needs to be developed in order to build an effective radical movement in the U.S. that has uh, it said to us that uh, we have to have an independent and autonomous space to operate from. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, the black radical organizations have to be, in fact, uh, autonomous. Um, from that base, from that base of, of support, of independent power, we can uh, enter into and build broader coalitions and alliances. Mm -hmm. uh, building that radical social block in this country uh, that can uh, eventually lead toward us like, uh, uh, seizing power and transforming the society. But we say that uh, we have to build those, those, those independent bases uh, so when we enter into these spaces that are beyond just our black black community, we enter those spaces with a, a power base. And so we can have conversations or struggles around uh, dealing with some of the issues of white supremacy that may uh, uh, maybe undermining the effectiveness of the coalition. Mm -hmm. uh, but we do that from a, a, a position of We're not going in as individuals trying to integrate into these broader spaces. And, and hoping that uh, we can convince white folks to, to do the right thing. Uh, we, we, I don't, I don't do that. Basically, it's about building power and operating from an independent power base. That's the only way we're going to be uh, effective and successful here in this country. And that's what's so dangerous to to a certain extent that uh, uh, is this current conversation that is emerging, even among left forces, that. Mm -hmm. uh, are attempting to characterize any independent expressions on the part of, of non-Europeans uh, as some form of, of, of divisive um, uh, identity politics. Mm 
Mm-hmm. You know, it is the, the left version of the race because it's primarily dealing with their, their ability or inability to deal with the issue of race because they will accept that we need to uh, uh, incorporate experiences and the perspectives of people who are, who are differently abled, uh, mm-hmm. uh, people who are members of, of, who are part of the LGBTQI community, uh, women. Uh, there's not uh, big concerns about that, but when it comes to the issue of race and the articulation of independent positions on the part of, of black people, uh, then there, there's an issue here. And, you know, it is a dangerous one because there seems to be almost a convergence of the left and the right on this issue of rejecting or attempting to erase the, the, mm-hmm. the perspectives, the lived experiences, uh, 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 the articulation of independent knowledge uh, yep. being uh, advanced by black people. And that's a very dangerous thing because uh, I'm seeing the, the, the potential basis for a reactionary white united front um, and that I think is very dangerous for black people and definitely very dangerous for any possibility for building an effective uh, revolutionary movement here in this country. <laughs> having, having spent quite some time, you know, dealing with that particular issue only because I feel like so many people have positioned themselves as voices in these spaces who you know, leverage their platforms and tell, you know, try to tell the stories of, quote unquote, the movement or of work of organizations such as BAPS and others, Um, you know, but what you said about a convergence with the left and the right, I think what a lot of people really do not understand is just because you don't have someone that maybe is a foaming at the mouth racist like a Richard Spencer doesn't mean that there isn't an issue with the way in which they move and engage in spaces that undermines, you know, opportunities for others to do work. And I appreciate going back to your previous comment about building independent black power and and, and having black tradition to kind of, you know, splice together some of your commentary uh, uh, as basically the, 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 the motivation, the underpinning, the, the impetus for, for that work. I think that people don't understand when you have independent minded black people in spaces and, and, and take it as a threat and want to, it seems like people almost devolve into, I don't know, some fragile being because our existence and, and insistence that not only do we represent our own ideas ourselves in our own way, but that our mere presence is sometimes causes such fragility. It, it's just interesting at the same time, the same people are claiming that we're trying to build a revolution. I don't, I don't know how, how do we, how do we build, build anything when people are not willing to, to decenter, I don't know, their own fears or, I mean, this goes for anyone, right? If people are not willing to decenter their own fears or their own, you know, issues that they can't even come to terms with in terms of being able to, to do this work. I mean, we're talking about building revolution. If we're talking about liberation, you know, not only do we have to talk about what that means, but people also need to be willing to, to, to work through those uncomfortable conversations and moments instead of, you know, running to, to whine and complain because Ajama was mean to them, for example, or whatever the case may be. Well, you know, we have to do in, in those spaces what you have been doing quite effectively. Uh, we do have to confront some of these more uh, backward notions, even among people who 
have uh, the best of intentions, but they have not been able to purge themselves of some of the assumptions of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And so when we, we talk about white supremacy, I, I made a comment uh, last week that, that generated some conversation. I said that white supremacist, white supremacist ideology has no race. That basically mm-hmm. it can is it incorporated by um, by by everyone is part of the experience here in in the West, and that you know one can be a an African and still be a flaming white supremacist. Mm. In fact, I said the most effective white supremacist, in my opinion, since, since 1945 or so, was Barack Hussein Obama. You know, white supremacy upholds the assumptions of white civilization. Mm-hmm. The illusions that there is something called a Western civilization that, uh, is, that represents the apex of human development. White, super, white supremacy ideology says that basically of, of white people in, in Western Europe and the U.S. have a right to determine uh, who might be the leader of, of another of other, another nation. Mm-hmm. That they have the responsibility to protect other people. That they 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 have a responsibility to save other oppressed people. Mm-hmm. You know, white supremacy is uh, a form of, of pathology that says that basically we could be opposed to a Donald Trump, but when he makes um, uh, 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 statements about uh, North Korea, or he flings missiles uh, over to Syria. Uh, that's all right, because that's what the U.S. does. The U.S. is our, is the the police person of the world, if you will. That assumption that uh, the U.S. and and NATO uh, and and the EU have that kind of role to play in the in the world is an expression. Of white supremacy, mm-hmm. the fact that one does not recognize white supremacist structures like the World Bank, the the uh, uh, International Monetary Fund, mm-hmm. um, you know, the way the UN operates, you know, the the global financial system, you know, white supremacy, the 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 the, the hegemony of 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 the white ruling class coming out of the invasion. Of 1492, you know, has been able to transform all aspects of life, all aspects of culture, and that basically, if one does not understand that and begin the process of purging one's uh, consciousness, one's worldviews, uh, one's very sensibilities of that, that basically you can find yourself, in fact, supporting uh, in ways that you might not even be aware of uh, the continuation of the hegemony of, of white supremacy uh, and reinforcing whiteness and not even know it. <laughs> there was actually a piece that a, a young activist from down here in Atlanta did. I think it came out in like June and it actually made a similar argument in terms of white supremacy. Uh, uh, basically, it, it was it was primarily referencing our current mayor, Kasim Reed, um, in terms of white supremacy being come in and what he could possibly do um, in terms of, you know, destruction and, you know, there, 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 there didn't seem to be attempt to make anything better in terms of DACA, uh, um, because ultimately the, the focus is on there are certain things that no matter who is president is going to happen because that is the way the United States of America is structured. And those people who sit in that position 
will make sure to uphold, you know, those values. I mean, no matter how much people like Bernie Sanders, there are still certain things that are American values in terms of its militaristic attitude and approach to the world that are going to be upheld even by, you know, those who consider themselves super progressives. So I really appreciate the way um, you kind of brought that all in together right there. You know, my sister, you know, um, 117 Democrats in the House uh, voted in favor of the uh, 2018 uh, National Defense Authorization Act. That is the, the Pentagon budget of $696 billion. Uh, the majority of the Black Caucus voted in favor of that, of that budget. Mm. That military budget is a structural uh, uh, expression of white supremacy. This military is a, a military that is committed to upholding the, the, the dominance of this white minority ruling class. And so these black folks who, uh, because they have less accountability today than they did 15 years ago, and especially since eight years when uh, under Barack Obama, they helped to move uh, black opinion uh, to the right, mm -hmm. uh, they can vote for this increase in the military budget without any real consequences. And what that what that military budget is going to mean is that they are going to have to slash uh, significantly um, almost every uh, uh, component of the of, of, of the national uh, state, you know, from the Environmental Protection Agency through Health and Human Services, uh, HUD, all of them would be will be slashed in terms of expenditures. So these many of these vital programs that working class people and poor people uh, are dependent on are going to be even more severely strangled as a consequence of this commitment to uh, uphold the U.S. military in order for the U.S. military, military to carry out uh, the, the program of full spectrum dominance, uh, which is a strategic uh, commitment on the part of the U.S. to maintain the hegemony of the U.S. minority ruling class, a ruling class that is a white ruling class. So that's an expression of white supremacy, mm. an expression of white supremacy uh, uh, by people who are non-white. That is the kind of perspective we've got to really begin to develop. Look, you know, we, 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 we get somewhat diverted. I wrote a couple of pieces on this, this concern I had around the uh, uh, inordinate amount of attention that was being directed toward the neo-Nazis. Mm. Now, the neo-Nazis are, are a dangerous force. And they need to be, we need to watch them and confront them with no question. But what was, what was developing was this dangerously simplistic notion that they are the ones who represent white supremacy, the expression mm -hmm. of, of ultimate white supremacy. With that is that it 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 lets off the white supremacists who are basically in power right now. It confuses the fact that that neoliberal capitalism is a structural expression of white supremacy, and that uh, neoliberal capitalism is is a uh, a, a system that both of the parties have bought into and they support. It is a, an expression of right-wing white supremacy. 
So we are, are, are looking at these neo Nazis and why white supremacist uh, 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 structures and policies uh, continue in place and, in fact, are intensifying. And we, have, we are allowing ourselves to be disarmed in terms of not being in opposition. So, you know, I, I want us to start, we've got to get clear, which means we've got to have more of these tough conversations. Mm -hmm. Not just about race, but about what does race mean in connection with these structures of oppression? What is the what is neoliberal capitalism? You know what what does it mean to have uh, social institutions that that produce and reinforce uh, a white supremacist ideology that rationalizes the continuation of this of the, of the status quo? You know what does it really mean? What does it take to build a new radical movement today? Which means we got also have to deal with the issue of white supremacy. You know, we've got to have these tough conversations, but right now. We, we really aren't having them as effectively as they could be because that issue of, of, of fragility is not only with white folks, but it's also with our folks, too. Mm, yeah. That basically, you know, if, if you get tough conversations, you know, and because of this, this uh, the way this kind of postmodernist nonsense has been embraced by so many people, uh, this notion that your reality is your reality and any critique of it is like a uh, an assault on you. You know, that is some backward liberal nonsense that is undermining our ability to build political opposition. It is a reflection of the kind of liberalism that infects the movement here uh, mm -hmm. in the U or there in the U.S. You know, and so we can't have struggles. You know, so you start having a struggle with someone that basically they will then call you out saying that it ain't about the political struggles, about, you know, uh, uh, one's identity or whatever. Right. You know, and then that shuts down uh, the, the struggle. And we've got to get serious because we are facing some serious times now, and we just aren't ready. Absolutely. I mean, I think that you just touched on something in terms of the, the, the effectiveness of conversations because it does seem very disjointed. Um, and, and disconnected also because so few of us do actually are even in control of our own means of communicating, you know, issues or facilitating conversations. And even when we are, there just seems to be this need to not, not want to upset people or disturb the balance or like, you know, we both have touched on this before that if we do raise these issues that are going to make people uncomfortable, we're being divisive. Somehow we're tearing the part of the movement. You know, things are not going to move forward because we're, we're, we're forcing a conversation that absolutely really actually has to happen. I mean, it just, it's just so fascinating to hear people who claim to be all about equality and liberation and revolution but they have their backup if you're trying to point out, you know, instances where that's not equality, what they're, what equity, what they're saying they're working towards, they're actually doing the opposite in some area, in some respects. But I, but I like what you said about how we also in our own spaces with our own people, we have some issues in terms of how we're organizing, moving and really having um, conversations and developing, you know, uh, a language around how to deal with some of the stuff because there has been, like, everyone has been a neo-Nazi. They're the only bad white supremacists. And now we already do see how neoliberals, how Democrats, how, you know, mainstream, you know, entities are spinning that it's all because of the Russians. The Russians are the reason why we have racial discord in America. And there isn't really a coordinated, cogent response 
or, or, or instead of being on the defense leading on how these issues should be framed and how we should be talking about them. Um, and so I appreciate, you know, the way you just broke that down. So I'm curious as through your work with BAT, which, you know, is happening here in the U S as well as, you know, on a global scale, what, what are some of the things, you know, as we kind of, you know, work on closing out, what are some of the things that, that BAP has been working towards, um, and, and, and how can people get involved if they're, if they're more interested in learning more or, or, or doing more work? Well, uh, thank you for that. Uh, we, we, uh, the Black Alliance for Peace is a new formation that we launched on April the 4th of this year, the anniversary of Dr. King's, um, with the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's uh, famous uh, speech in which he came out in opposition to the Vietnam War mm-hmm. on April the 4th, 1967. Uh, we felt that it was um, a, a time for us to attempt to rebuild the, the black anti-war, uh, anti-imperialist uh, movement here in this country. And now that uh, people were now thinking again, uh, coming out of this fog of eight years of Fusion under uh, Barack Obama, uh, that we can begin the process of moving our people back to a more progressive position uh, vis-a-vis the U.S. and vis-a-vis our traditional uh, anti-war positions. So we've been uh, organizing and building this uh, this movement. What we've been doing is when we say anti-war, we are also uh, uh, Mm -hmm. anti-militarists. We're anti- um, uh, uh, state violence in all of its different forms. Uh, we understand that you know we can't be about uh, war abroad and that deal with uh, systematic state repression domestically. Mm. So we connect up our oppositions uh, to state violence in the form of war abroad with our opposition to state violence uh, and repression in the U.S. The impunity of these killer cops around the country. The the fact that we've had this, this continuation of the uh, militarization of police forces, or what we call the domestic military, uh, we are in opposition to that. That's why we also are in opposition to the increase in the military budget that also is connected to increasing the resources going to these uh, local police forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, we said we have to connect, you know, because it, it, we're talking about uh, a state that. Uh, is involved in the in domestic repression uh, internally, but also involved in the continuation of, of, of international oppression beyond the borders of the U.S. So again, as internationalists, as black people, as human beings who are opposed to oppression, we have to make those connections. That's why we do work on issues of Colombia. You know, that's why we are concerned and right now are involved in. Uh, six days of opposition to the war in Afghanistan. Mm, That's okay. why we imp- oppose the, uh, the interventions in, in Syria. That's why we say that the U.S. Uh, needs to be out of Africa. We oppose the uh, uh, African command uh, uh, on the African continent. You know, That's why we say that we have got to educate people on the carnage taking place uh, in Yemen with the support of the U.S., these issues are all interrelated and in that if one is a real radical, one is, is really committed to human liberation and the, the plight of people around the world and you are based in the U.S., 
and this criminal state is involved in this activity in your name, then you have a responsibility to be in opposition. If you don't, then basically you are complicit. You are supporting this kind of criminal activity. So the Black Alliance for Peace is about peace. But we understand that there can be no uh, uh, peace without justice. Absolutely. And we understand we have to fight for justice. So we are building a fighting organization for the Black Alliance for Peace. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, I, I did get to, to watch some of uh, one of the one of the sessions. There was the session that you all had at UNEC. I did get to watch watch that session, and I I, I remember listening and thinking famous, about famous how, UNEC, huh? The famous, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the famous, the famous, the famous session. <laughs> but, but, but I really appreciate what I appreciate and what I learned so much once I finally, you know, saw the live stream was listening not only to report backs from people on work, like as you just noted, internationally, but local domestic things that we, we, we would not traditionally think of if we're looking at it through a very Eurocentric lens in terms of anti-war movement. Because thinking about, I think there was a sister talking about how there was an increase in, in, in the community where she was organizing in terms of uh, ROTC, you know, ROTC and, and uh, uh, no, right. no military um, recruitment at high schools, right? And, and, and we don't necessarily... And, and yes, yes. And, and like that, that's not something that, that most people are traditionally thinking or talking about when they're talking about anti-war. They're literally thinking about soldiers being sent to Afghanistan or Iraq, which is a problem to our aid being provided, you know, to, 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 to bomb other countries, which is absolutely important but the manners in which our communities are targeted you know to go be the bodies on the line to inflict this harm on other people that's an issue of concern that has to be dealt with at home as well and so i that was something that i had learned about that you know you might know things anecdotally you might know that things happen but but actually listening to the the wealth of knowledge in that room and for people to share not only their work but their interest in understanding and how, you know, militarism works, not just abroad, but also at home and bringing that to a local context. Because in so much when we do a lot of this, this work, it's for, for, for the average person on the block, it's very abstract, right? It's, it's what does this have to do with my life here? But listening to folks in that, in that session with Black Alliance for Peace, bring it back down to this local level, whereas, yes, we're talking about, you know, U.S. bombing, U.S. supporting Saudi Arabia campaigns, you know, in Yemen. But at the same time, it's connected to, you know, this, you know, over-militarization of police in Chicago or St. Louis or wherever else at home or, you know, increase, you know, interaction with military recruiters and high school students in urban, you know, predominantly black and brown areas, like that helps make the connection in a very real and meaningful way that this is our issue and we can't just, you know, ignore it as, you know, because someone else will focus on it or whatever. So, so I really appreciate, and I wanted to say that to you, like, I really appreciate it watching and getting to learn more from the website and, and, and postings about what has, you know, what different actions and stuff have been going on because so often there is this notion of what the peace movement or anti-war is supposed to be about. And not everyone who says they're anti-war understands the distinction you just made about also being anti-militarism and anti-imperialism as well. I just wonder if you just real quickly can just like explain why it's not enough to simply say you're anti-war, that those other two components fit into it as well. Uh, 
families are connected because they are in fact connected. Basically, you can't just be anti-war uh, and not uh, and not be prepared to struggle against expressions of state repression domestically. That you can't be uh, anti-war and, and not be opposed to the military budget that's wasting uh, the people's resources. Uh, you can't be anti-war and not speak out against the expansion of the 1033 program, that program that uh, that Department of Defense program that is responsible for militarizing resources in the U.S. You know, you know these, these issues are connected because these issues are having a direct negative impact on real-life human beings. So you can't talk about being anti-war uh, and you you and, 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 and twist up your mouth and say that uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, but then uh, fail to say uh, whether or not uh, Palestinian lives matter. You know, whether or not the lives of people in Yemen matter. You know, we've got to make these connections because we're human beings and we are impacted by one uh, international oppressive system. So the radical consciousness demands that those connections are made. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I appreciate you so much, again, for making the time tonight to talk with me. Um, hopefully, the next time we're able to have a conversation, I will have the, the, the text side stuff figured out because I was so excited, and then Skype failed me tonight, so I'm like, I'm messing up with my OBS. Usually, I, I got this, but, um, but, but I definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and dropping some jewels and giving me, myself, a lot to think about and, and, and where I make my next steps in terms of organizing and where to get involved. So um, thank you, because I know it's it's late, but I, but you but you hung in with me, and I I really I'm really appreciative of of the conversation, um, and and the teaching. So thank you. I really, I really enjoyed. Thank you, thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed the conversation, and and uh, I don't know also. Uh, so let let's do it again. I mean, we we just kind of touched, we kind of scratched the surface. We just scratched so, the surface. So uh, you get know, a chance, and you you think about. You think about old Ajamo, just, uh, you know, shoot me an invitation. Let me come back. Oh, I definitely will. Because, I mean, honestly, and, and, and folks know me, like, I, there are a few people that I do get really excited about. But you were definitely someone that I got excited. We were like, yeah, I'll come on. I was like, what? I've been wanting to talk to you for like a year. So, no. So, I really do appreciate it. And, 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 and I really do think that you give us all a lot to think about. And it's very provocative and necessary commentary that is added into this 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 large space we're all in, whether it's, you know, folks trying to organize in third party spaces or so-called progressives or whatever people think they're doing. I mean, there is there are other voices and you are certainly one of them that that drive conversation and thought. Um, I think that would not ordinarily happen without you pushing um, that envelope in that direction. So thank you for that as well. Thank you, my sister. So this has been um, a, a, another edition of The Way With Noah. It's the beginning of October. We're coming to the end of 2017. Um, thank you guys for hanging in there with me. We'll definitely uh, just, we're just going to keep doing good work and having good conversations with good people. Definitely going to get the tech thing straightened out. I had finally got OBS figured out and then it updated and then Skype was not working with me. So that happened, but appreciate you all. Thank you to Brother Jamu for, for, for also working with me and coming in. And I look forward to follow-up conversations. If you all have questions or suggestions for future commentary, shoot me an email, thewaywithfanoa at gmail.com or, or, you know, drop me a message on the Facebook page. So peace.